Okay, hey, good evening. Tuesday night Bible study. Isn't it great? We are just having a super time here. And uh, I tell you what, we are in the book of Judges. <laughs> chapter 17 and verse uh, 1. All the way through chapter 18 and verse 31. And that's what we've got scheduled. And uh, so that's why uh, I am starting here uh, almost on time. I didn't get an outline done. Yeah, um, been doing that lately, haven't I? I'm the, I'm the excuse. No, no. I kept him from doing his I, it was. <laughs> so I'll tell you what. You, you have paper? Do you have paper? Number one is called the introduction of this character by the name of Micah. All right, I could get the board out and write on it, but I'm not going to do that. So, yeah, there you go. But number one, start in, in chapter 17, verses one through six, the introduction of Micah, and in chapter 17, seven through 13 is the corruption of the Levitical priesthood. So, that takes the first 13 verses. And that's chapter 17. So we've got two points there. Alright? Number one, introduction of Micah, verses 1-6. through six. Number two, corruption of the Levitical priesthood. That's from verses 7-13. through 13. Number three... And it's chapter 18. The whole chapter. It's called the tribe of Dan dealing with Micah and the Levite. So that is our breakdown. So two chapters in one night. Two for the price of one, folks. You can't beat it, can you? So anyway, good to see you guys. We, uh, we held John and we kept him from going on. He's supposed to be at his parents' house, his father is there, and uh, he was going to say happy birthday there and be there a few days. Well, we held him back for ransom. We didn't get the money, and so he's still here. We uh, cut the ropes just while ago to get him over here. Actually, what we did to hold him was just punch a nail in his tire, and he couldn't go any further. <laughs> and, and we're gonna we're gonna consider some way of of keeping John here in Jeff City, you know, for I don't know maybe years, you know, just possibly because everybody likes John, and, and on Facebook he's known as John John. So if you want to get on Facebook with John, if you're not if you're not there with him, look up John John, it's John Mullen, right? John John. Did you guys get that? And he always has something very interesting that you want to read on there. And so he will he'll be glad he'll be glad to entertain you. Was that okay for me to say that, John? Well, after I've already after I've already held you back from going down further in. I'm going to get all kinds of friends requests. Yeah, you are going to get a lot now. <laughs> Anyway, I never figured out what the second John was about. I know your last name, but anyway, maybe you'll tell me later. I'm sure you probably would rather not tell me now. Okay. But <laughs> it's, it's pretty simple. Okay, what is it? 
<laughs> my mom used to call me John John. Oh, well. But, yeah. But also, I have a cousin named John Mullen. So, you know, it's kind of confusing. Oh, yeah. yeah. John Mullen, John Mullen. So. Well, we used to call you Sean. Sean Mullen. Did you? Yeah, didn't we? Didn't we, Caroline? Sean Mullen? <laughs> I never did. I thought it was a joke or something. I, I don't know. No, it was a misunderstanding when he was born. Yeah. Oh, oh. Okay. It's probably my mom trying to pronounce it. Yeah, that's what it was. Well, Sean is Irish, in case you guys haven't caught that. Oh, really? <laughs> You're not believing that, are you? I didn't think so. Okay. Right. I, I kind of almost did. I was like, I didn't <laughs> that could be. You know what? Hey, stranger people. All right. Okay. In Judges, we just finished the study of Samson. A rather interesting story. We had quite an interesting Bible study last week. So uh, it, it it was it, we gained a lot out of that. It was incredible. And we thank the Lord for that. So, you look at what Samson was doing. He's considered a judge. God elected him to be that judge of Israel. And uh, he did what God called him to do, even though he was very Canaanized. As he womanized uh, ladies. And at the same time, we know that he broke Nazarite vows and a lot of God's law. But... Honestly, in Hebrews 11, he was a man of faith. And God uses people despite who they are and what their sin is. Now I want to tell you, when you get into chapter 17 and 18 and the remaining chapters, five of them left, and as we have gone through Judges, we've seen some very despicable things. We haven't seen anything yet. Because now, after several hundred years since Joshua had died, and there have been generations that come, they've gone. The nation has become more Canaanized than ever before. Six times we see that the people forgot about God, and then they become so under, uh, I guess, oppression that they call out to God finally after many, many years. And God does raise up judges six times to deliver His people. And so on and on it kept doing that. The Israelites have enemies throughout all the land that they were supposed to have had. And they did conquer. But yet, because of their lifestyles and what they did and running away from God, uh, they were mostly under uh, oppression. But God would every once in a while send judges 20, 40 years that they would have a time of peace. But you, you know who the real enemy was of Israel? Israel. That's really what the problem was. You know, our enemy is our flesh. The worst enemy that we really have is us. Uh, we can see, though, how Israel has fallen so far so in these final five chapters, we see there is no judge here that's spoken of, no king in Israel. So everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And that's what you see so often through the rest of this book, which is not much left. 
and uh, the religion that they had is really reduced to mere tradition. It's really what it was. It, uh, they had no, they, they had profession of faith. Maybe that was at, at best uh, of what they had. The people of God failed to uh, follow His commands. They fall to deeper levels of depravity further on down. And the Israelites long ago had already stopped determining what was right and what was wrong as compared to God's Word. Right? God's law. Yahweh's law. So long ago, the people of Israel forgot about the miraculous things that happened at the Red Sea and the Passover and getting out of the bondage of Egypt. So you know, you keep taking it back. They forgot about the covenant promises of God. They just forgot everything, and they went their own way and adopted Canaanite practices. As they forgot about God even more, Israel was in a deplorable condition. They were deplorable. That was what deplorable was, and it was nothing less than a national apostasy. They had turned totally against God, really. And you had a failure of the Levitical priest. They didn't teach the people anything. They were no longer doing that. And uh, they just emulated the Canaanites. That's really what they... They totally blended in. And this is why God used Samson. Because if He used Samson, He can keep them from bleeding right on in to the, the pagan society that is there and you'd have a lost nation. And the promise of the Messiah has got to come through Israel, has to come through the the tribe of Judah, from uh, David, David's loins, and that's in the future. So God uses a Samson to spite Samson, and He does it to keep them from Canaanizing. He gets them to where they were becoming very comfortable where they were at. And so God sends Samson to cause all sorts of problems. He wreaked havoc with the Philistines. That's what God wanted. That's what He used him for. That's right. But the, you know, this downer of a message is exactly what we need to hear. <laughs> you know, we think, oh, we need to hear the good news. But a downer message like this is good because apart from Christ, we can do nothing. And without Christ, we are nothing, can do nothing. And sometimes when you look at the struggles that Samson had, that others had, you know what it's saying? This is us. Because we struggle. Um, and then the question is, is how do we remain faithful to Christ in the midst of a pagan generation? That's where we're at. Just like Israel was. Yet believers in there, how do we remain faithful to Christ in the way that it is? So um, how do we carry on this Christian life that we know we're supposed to live without losing interest in the fight that we have against indwelling sin? How do we keep following Christ without losing interest? A lot of people drop out. You guys have seen them. One after another. Dropping like flies. Because it becomes too hard. It becomes too difficult. It's much easier to follow the Canaanites' way. And they have a lot more better stuff out there. It's more exciting. More fun. Why follow God's law if it's that 
stringent. Seems like it is. Well, it's not. Because of Christ, we should want to do those things. So it's an ongoing fight, isn't it? You know what? I think their problem was complacency. Do you know what? I think that's the problem of the church today. Complacent. Just becoming satisfied with the way it is and not really putting any effort into our walk. It's mighty easy just to not just to kind of go along with the world and not let us upset anything at all. So Judges actually relates to us and the time that we live in. I can't see a more timely book than the time we live in right now and the book of Judges. And if I was in another book, I'd probably say the same thing, wouldn't I? Because it's all timely. It's all going right along parallel with our times and their times. And sin is sin. We have a lot of different ways to sin today. A lot easier to sin. <coughs> but man, it's still the same. <coughs> there goes my throat. <coughs> so, thank you guys for joining us tonight. <coughs> and we'll see you next week. <laughs> Somebody's praying for my voice here tonight? Thank you. <laughs> okay. Let's... Uh, Hey, Avell, can you read the first six verses of chapter 17 there? Yes, sir. <clears throat> Thank you. <clears throat> it says, Now a man named Micah from the hill country of Ephraim said to his mother, The eleven hundred shackles of silver that were taken from you and about which I heard you utter a curse, I have that silver with me. I took it. Then his mother said, The Lord bless you, my son. When he returned the eleven hundred shekels of silver to his mother, she said, I solemnly consecrate my silver to the Lord for my son to make a carved image and a, and a cast idol. I will give it back to you. So he returned the silver to his mother, and she took two hundred shekels of silver and gave them to a silversmith who made them into an image made them into a silver who made them into an image and the idol and they were put in Micah's house now this man Micah had a shrine and he made an ephod and some idols and instead installed one of his sons and his and his priests in those days Israel had no king everyone did as he saw fit that, that, that's good right there. That's the theme. That very last verse you read. Verse 6. That's what sets up the rest of the book. Matter of fact, I think it sets up the whole book. You know, But, this is bizarre. This is a bizarre story. We're, we're now introduced to Micah. That's our first point there, right? And it's a picture. It's a warning to us of how sinful we can really be. Now, I'm not saying that we did and do these kind of things, but it always comes back because it's easy to pick on Micah here. This is not the prophet Micah. Okay, this is a different different Micah here. But this 17.1, it opens up with an Ephraimite family. Pretty well to do, I'd say. And uh, this family is pretty significant to, to the story that, that we get to here tonight. Um, 
Micah's name is who is like Yahweh. Mike Ah. Ah, Yah. Usually you have that A-H or you'll have a Y-A-H in it. Like it's dealing with God. Um, Yahweh or people heard of Jehovah. There's your Yah again. But anyway... What's L then? And that's dealing with God in a, in a general way. It's like us saying God. Okay. Right? God, El, uh, El Gibor. Anyway, yeah, so you'll see that uh, whether you know whether something can mean God Almighty, that kind of thing. And it might be a capital G, little letter O, little letter D. But sometimes when you see, or when you think of Lord, but with the capital letters, who's that? Yeah, as Yahweh, right? His personal name, His covenant name, um, the self-existent. And so that Yah is right there. And so the question is, is who is like Yahweh? And what's the answer? There's no one like Yahweh. There's no one like Him. So we get into a little bit of a glimpse of the character involved here in this section. And uh, you have Micah and you have Micah's mother. And you notice that she had 1,100 pieces of silver. Uh, What happened to her 1,100 pieces of silver? Her son took it. Stole it. He's a thief. Right. He's a dirty, rotten thief. Is what he is, and he he learns about a curse though. His mother had some kind of a curse on it, but on whoever took that. Oh, now he's scared. So guess what? He's scared, and so he go maybe a little superstition going on there. Anyway, he goes up, takes the eleven hundred pieces of silver, and said, "Hey, I took that." It's like I'm sorry. Why did he do it? Because of the curse. He didn't have any intention of doing that, but he learns of that. He confesses, returns the money back, and Micah's mother is proud of him. <laughs> Figure that one out. <laughs> and instead of cursing him, what does she do? She blesses him. That is kind of strange, isn't it? Well, it just gets more strange. Um, It's almost like he did some kind of noble behavior. We have parents today, when their kids do terrible things, it's like either they ignore it, or actually, they might even encourage them to keep on doing it. I've seen Christian parents have Christian kids that are doing horrible things that are not right. And you know what they do? They say, well, how nice. How sweet. You know, he's, you know, he, he's a good kid. I think they do that to um, try to keep them around and not scare them away. Yeah, be their like, friend. I mean, that's the only thing I can think of, you know? I think you got a good point. Right? I mean, there's a lot of parents who are like, well, I'd rather... And then, like, there's parents that um, they know their kids are going to drink so they say, well, they might as well drink with me. And that sounds ridiculous, right? But say, I know that where they're at, I know they're safe here in the house. You're going to drink anyway, so you might as well drink. Here. Yeah, it's just saying, hey, it's okay to drink. You know, right, that kind of mentality. You know? Oh, and then you have a girlfriend. Well, you, you might as well just go ahead and just have fun here with her. It's a lot better than, you know, maybe some other place and you're getting all sorts of right. trouble and stuff. Right? That's kind of the idea. And I think she wants to, yeah, she would like to keep him around. So she blesses him as though he had engaged in good behavior. 
And in the name of Yahweh, it says, And his mother said, Blessed be my son by the Lord. By capital letters, Lord. By, I mean, Yahweh. This is mom here, right? Uh, You know what? I think this is indicating that Micah's mother thinks that she's a worshiper of Yahweh. Well, let's see what goes on here. Verse 3, we see this deplorable condition of this family here. And there's a list of violations of, of God's law right here in a few verses. Micah is a thief, no doubt about it, right? He also has not honored his mother. I mean, that's, that's a pretty good sin. We're, we're getting the Ten Commandments broken all over the place here. And, and then we see that um, she's going to give a portion of this to the, to the, to who? To the, to the priest? To the religion? She's not going to give a portion of that. What does she do? She gives a portion of that to him, and a lot of it is going to be of the portion that she's going to give is for an idol. And she should have taken that and at least given it as a dedication to the Lord, but instead to to the priest who are bad anyway, who are supposed to represent (laughs) the Lord. But everybody does what's right in their own eyes. I feel so sorry for these people. It's so hard for us. We have the Holy Spirit. We have the Word of God. That's all we We need. We are surrounded by Christians. And we still screw up. Isn't that sad? And these guys got nothing. They got nothing. They got no Holy Spirit. They got no teachers. They got no... Writings, they got nothing. But they have what's right in their own eyes. They have promises. <laughs> I just, and this is so far removed from Joshua and Moses and the miracles. And I mean, if you look, this is this is just this is just heartbreaking. This is sad, and this is this is where it's gotten. Yeah. God gave them everything they needed. He had given them even judges, and and of course the the priests are there to teach the people. They aren't doing it. The people have no desire to obey God, and so that's where we're at. Generations of doing this, you know, it just takes one generation to stop. That's right. Before the next generation has no idea what's going on. Would you say they have gotten lost? Yeah, because after Samson, you know, everything that led up to Samson, they were already integrating with the Philistines, and then you have the time after Samson and. They're just as lost as they were before. But remember, but God. Yes, but God. Well, and you know there's a remnant here somewhere. Yeah, there is. Yeah, there there is always that's a remnant. That, that's a remnant. That but yeah. God. Yeah. yeah. This is just... I wonder how that remnant feels. Oh, like, my. I wonder how often that remnant is like, you guys are messing up. Oh, <laughs> and they're like, who are you to tell me? Ooh, Mr. Holy. Yeah. Look at you. Mr. Religious. Yeah. You know... I just like that line. Vexed his righteous. Yeah. 
Okay, well she gives she gives this silver about five pounds worth of it to her son for one purpose of creating an idol. Here's a Hebrew woman blessing her son who is a thief at the, all at the same time in the name of Yahweh and then instructing that her own silver be used to create an idol. And she sees no problem whatsoever in doing this in the name of God. Make an idol. Micah, and where are we at here? We're, we're, we're right at the top of the Ten Commandments, aren't we? <laughs> Make no craven image. Have no other gods before me. Micah establishes a pagan shrine now in his own home. He has his own pagan shrine there in his house. He creates his own ephod or ephod, priestly garment of what it is, and then he takes one of his own sons and makes him a what? A priest. <laughs> What's right in his own eyes. I mean, they had the Levites as priests, you know, but here we are. Micah establishes his own religious center here. This is the church of Micah. It's what, what, what has been established. And I guess, you know, he thinks that he's honoring God. Israel had no military, political leader. Israel had no prophet, no king, as you're saying there, Penny. They didn't, I mean, they had priests, but they didn't have priests who were really teaching the nation. So the, the people would actually attend some kind of form of worship, but it was reflecting the pagan culture that was around them. That's really what they had adopted. And they did what not was commanded in Scripture. So there's point one. Oh, you got it. I was going to say that. But I didn't. I refrained finally. I'm glad you did, though. We know. We see that, don't we? It's happening all around us. And the whole thing here is they know. You know, you know, like... What is it, Romans? Everybody knows there's a God. There's a Creator God. Everybody, I mean, look around. You can tell. You know. And that's, you know, Outside that's what I see. It proceeds to finally making their idols, their own to gods. Find something, and so they They have God in their own image, and so rather than taking what He says, how to worship Him and who He is, they make they it fit know. what they're comfortable with. Did they even know what he said? Probably not. If they wanted to, I mean, if they would have. But... Further down, it talks about the Levite traveling through. Well, you know, you know, sure, there were priests there, there were Levites there, but I mean, where were they? Yeah. Well, let's I take mean, a look did at they that. They have a temple someplace. Did they have? You know, I mean, yeah. Uh, there, Shiloh is where they are at, and that's where the tabernacle is at. There is at a this time, here. Mm-hmm. at Shiloh. Okay. There is that one oh, spot. Okay. I'm feeling a little less sorry for him. Yeah. <laughs> Dennis, is there a, a 
a significance in in her referencing Yahweh instead of just. Uh, I mean, well, she knew. Seems like she's, she knows she's who the, the one yeah, true God, right? Exactly. But she's not doing actions of someone who's so. There we go. She's breaking the very she first knows. the she the commandments. Yeah. Decided to do it her way or a better way. But that's right, John. She she's you. How many people say I believe in God? Right. Yeah. I believe in Jesus. But, I believe in the virgin birth. I believe but, that He's coming back. I believe but, the Bible, and yet their actions. Don't even line up exactly what you're talking about, John, with what the Word of God says. Though they're not living that, not and they do other things that you can go, man, where does it? I thought that person was a Christian. Yeah, it just it, it makes me think that I mean, what she's saying to be done here is being done in the name of the one true God, and mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. actions that are not. But how did she but then how do you link that to what they did? You know? Right. Yeah, right, how, yeah. you should know that's not Right, that's what I'm saying, yeah. Yeah, you should just, know that that's not how he operates. Well, you know, sometimes yeah. you may seem like it may seem like you're legalistic, let's say, and to to somebody else and they say, Well, I I don't really believe that. Uh you're taking it a little bit too far. Well, that can be. You can be legalistic. And something that most people would say, yeah, that's the way to do it, you know. But yet people say, well, I have my own idea. I have my own way of worshiping God. You know, is it lining up with this? Can I blink? Yeah, that's exactly exactly it. I'm going to worship God my what makes me feel like I'm closer to Him by doing it my. Way. But it's a, it's a direct affront because of the graven image and right. idol. Yes. Exactly. So I mean, I'm, I'm sure they would understand that they, they would know it. some. They would right. know these they commands. Would, yeah. So it's not like a well, she wasn't sure, but hey, yeah, maybe God will like this or something like that. No, I mean, <laughs> it should be a direct affront. I'm making an idol. Exactly. Know? But these kind other like people are Aaron doing did. it that way, and it looks kind of cool. Yeah. yeah the other yeah. neighbors are doing <laughs> something there. That's kind of neat looking. All right. Well, let's let's kick this into gear. Are you ready? First, uh, from seven to the rest of this chapter is point number two, and it's the corruption of the Levitical priesthood. And we can say, what happened to those guys? What were they doing? Well, we'll get a little bit of an idea here. Now there was a young man from Bethlehem, Bethlehem, huh? in Judah, of the family of Judah who was a Levite. This guy's really blessed, isn't he? Who's Jesus going to come through the tribe? Judah. Where did Jesus? Where was he born? Bethlehem. Um, this guy's a Levite. He's a priest. And he was, he was staying there. Well, I can't say he's an out-and-out priest yet. He's a Levite. By the way, I want you to pay attention. It was a young man. And usually when we're thinking of young men, not one who is of the age of 30. To be a priest, to start with being a priest, you had to be 30. That was a, a, a number, a nice round number to be equivalent to that. So he's not that. But he's going to be taken as that. So that's kind of key right there. Then the man departed from the city, from Bethlehem, in Judah. It's funny, it's repeated again, isn't it? Probably something to that. To stay wherever he might find a place. And as he made his journey, he came to the hill country of Ephraim, a little bit north of Judah there, 
uh, in the hill country, to the house of Micah. Now we've already been introduced to Micah, right? Micah set up this house of Micah. <laughs> the house of prayer, the house of whatever, you know, you've heard of those? The house of Micah. With his shrine and his own priest. But that priest is not a Levite. Ah, give you a little clue there, right? Micah said to him, Oh, where do you come from? And he said to him, uh, I'm a Levite. Oh, from Bethlehem in Judah. Oh, and I'm going to stay wherever I may find a place. Wherever I wind up. <laughs> Whoever can take me in. Micah said to him, Dwell with me and be a father and a priest to me. And I will give you ten pieces of silver a year. Uh, that's really good. Remember, this is a pretty well-to-do family. She had the 1,100 pieces of silver. And here's, you know, I'll give you ten pieces of silver a year. You'll get paid. A suit of clothes and your maintenance. You'll be taken care of very well. So the Levite went in. The Levite agreed to live with the man, and the young man became to him like one of his sons. When he was saying, be a father to me, it's like, you know, you teach me. Mm-hmm. You know, you... you uh... Because he's a Levite. Right. He's expecting him to have some sort of wisdom and knowledge that he himself doesn't have. Exactly. Even though he's older, he could have been the father, but right. that's the right idea. Okay, exactly. Okay, so Micah consecrated the Levite. And how does he do that? Don't know. <laughs> he set him apart here. Clean him up. Micah ordained the Levite. That's really the, the a very good translation. I like that word. He ordained. He's nobody, but hey, he's got the shrine. He's got the idol. Uh, you think the would have been yeah. like, this is not right. I'm supposed to bless you since I'm the Levite. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You are giving me authority. Right. That he went for this deal. Uh, yeah. Well, so the young man became his priest and lived in the house of Micah. Then Micah said, now I know that Yahweh, there's our little tetragrammat in there, will prosper me, seeing I have a Levite as priest. So he says, son, his own son, uh, you're going to have to move over. we got a real priest in there now. Now remember, he's not even of age to be a priest. But he's a Levite. <laughs> oh, he could have been the age of you two guys. You're not 30 yet, though. Oh, oh you, you are? Wow. You guys, you guys just keep getting younger all the time. You know, as I get older, those young people, they get younger. Can't figure that one out. You see those 12-year-olds driving cars. That's how I feel about it. I mean, to me, like, high school or sometimes, like, ninth graders, like, the freshmen look like, almost like, like six graders. Yeah, it happens, you know? That's funny. I like that. Well, what we got here? In in the next chapter, we learn that, that, that his name is is, is uh, Jonathan. Okay? So th- this is Jonathan, the, the, who's now the priest. He's that young guy. Uh, Levitical priesthood. Yeah, he's the young guy. And um, 
it becomes completely corrupt here, seen in several ways. And you know, uh, priests were not supposed to be consecrated until thirty, and they would be too young serving in that capacity. Priests were to serve where they were directed, but he just kind of directed himself, kind of wandered around till whoever take him in. So he was supposed to have a calling, and then be put in a place where that he was directed to. So Jonathan gets an offer that he cannot refuse. This is about as bad as it gets. Not only does Micah hire Jonathan to replace his son, it would sure look a lot better for a priest of a Levitical nature to be the priest instead of an Ephraimite. So the Levitical priesthood is centered in Shiloh, as we said, and that's the tabernacle was uh, was established. Micah sees nothing uh, here wrong with establishing uh, this kind of church, his own his own church, creating his own priestly ephod, and also his house with idols, right? I mean, I mean, you got idols there that were uh, very expensive, and uh, he hires his own personal priest. This place is really taking a step up now, boy. We got the Levitical priest, and we have this idols all around the place. I mean, this is really something that looks legitimate. And then claiming Yahweh will bless him for doing this. This is what I mean when I say the people of Israel are thoroughly canonized. That's why they can accept idolatry. Because that's all they did there in that land. We hear this. The Bible people about being healed and everything. You're going to be rich. I mean, they're over there to get a holy cloth, you know, send some money to my ministry. That's the same charlatan that this guy's doing. Some holy water. Yeah, whatever their latest gimmick to get people. Holy handkerchiefs. Yeah. Okay, ready? Chapter 18. Here's part number three. The tribe of Dan comes along, and this is associated with chapter 17. We were just set up for the next part. Oh, it gets better, folks. It's dealing with Micah and the Levite, and now the tribe of Dan. Who are you have two uh, two kinds of people there? You have the spies, and then you have the army. And you don't remember the spies uh, that Israel had you know, during the time of Moses. So anyway, you're going to see these spies come along. We're not sure how, but the Danite spies know that Jonathan's a Levite. So let's read along. In those days, there there was no king of Israel, and in those days, the tribe of the Danites, if you don't have a king, you don't have somebody leading you, make sure that there is, you know, we we keep tight in this. Everybody is just, you know, out in different thoughts, different ways of thinking. If you don't come together and assemble and make sure that we dot our I's and cross the T's, we've got this thing together. That's what's so important about a church. That's why they say confessions. John, you know, I think of the the great church that you'd gone to a first pres in Columbia. Were they confessional? Yeah. I mean, they they held to a, a body of truth. 
and and they would either you know say it, repeat it together. We do that on the. Did they do anything like that too? Oh, yeah. To say it all uh, oh, yeah. loud, and so yeah. we're not that odd in that. We just didn't make that no. up, right? Okay. No, no. Most most of the reformed churches I go to. Are, Thank you. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So we're not that weird, right? Okay. Well. Well. Oh. <laughs> Anyway, <laughs> um, okay, Jonathan is a Levite, and the Danite spies come there. Right? What did I did I just stop in the middle of a verse? What did I do? You're halfway through eight, one eighteen, and you stopped. In verse one. Yes. Uh, no king of Israel. Okay. And in those days, the tribe of the Danites were seeking an inheritance for themselves to live in. For until that day. Uh, an inheritance had not been allotted to them as a possession among the tribes of Israel. And we'll get to that. So the sons of Dan sent from their family five men out of their own number, valiant men from Zorah and Eshtael to spy out the land. To search it, they said to them, Go search the land. And they came to the hill country of Ephraim, to the house of Micah. We know all about that. And lodged there. People like to stop at his place, don't they? Yeah. When they were near the house, I wonder if he had some kind of Sign. idol out there in front to to adopt. You know, maybe people on in. Yeah, they can see Neon Sign. Anyway, I think so. Maybe a bigger type house and such. Yeah. And when they were near the house of Micah, they recognized the voice of the young man. I'm not sure why, the Levite. And they turned aside there and said to him, Who brought you here? And what what are you doing in this place? And what do you have here? <laughs> They're looking around. They're looking at him. He's probably got his ephod on and everything. He's a priest. He's a Levite. They recognize that he is. And they look at all this stuff going on. They're going... They, they question him. Man, they're giving him... The whole bit, aren't they? They're giving him every question they can think of. And he said to them, Thus, and so has Micah done to me. And he has hired me, and I have become his priest. Well, he didn't say, Micah gave me a deal I couldn't refuse. He said, Micah did this to me. He's starting to go, Wow, what's the deal with the questions here? Mm. They said to him, Inquire of God, please. You're a priest. Go ask that we may know whether our way in which we are going will be prosperous. See, they're going to go take some land, right? The priest said to them, Go in peace. Your way in which you're going uh, has the Lord's approval. Let's let's back up. Let's take those six verses. Okay, you have... If this priest was willing to work for Micah, we're going to see that as, as time goes on here that... Maybe he could be something for them, and that's really where it's kind of getting at. But here you have the, the there's no king, there's nobody you know keeping them all together in, in their thinking. And uh, the five men come, they're spies, they're going to go search the land. You know the Danites actually were to have their own property like everybody else did. Each tribe was. You know they didn't really take it. And here they are, and they're saying, now we're going to go get it. <laughs> we're going to go get iron-haired. This is hundreds of years later. 
It should have been done and taken care of, but they didn't do it. You know in that sense, is that kind of what you said earlier that he's a Levite and they were supposed to be appointed to serve. They had a purpose and a task, and this guy's wandering around. The just, highest bidder, kind yeah, of thing. Just yeah, looking for a purpose because their society and the culture there has become so depraved that his purpose is no longer like there. Right. So it's like his whole goal to be a Levite, to serve God and to be a part of that, so that when people come to him, he could really go to God and ask God so that he can give the message back to the people who came to him to ask in the first place. And here these people are asking him to do his Levitical job, his Duty. his mm-hmm. legitimate job. And that's where it seems like they're confused as to what is he doing? Yeah. <laughs> like, what? like they recognize his voice, that it's different, so there must be something different about this guy's voice that makes yep. him go, this guy's a Levite. And what is he doing here with all these idols? Yes, yeah, like they took it as bizarre. Exactly. They knew like, that was not right, yeah, didn't so they, they? So they asked him, what ask God, right? because these guys seem like they're coming from a different place, and they're like, we want to take our land, so go ask God. They yeah. sound like they want to do what's right. Like, Fantastic. Go ask, go ask God so we can take the right land that's yeah. for us, that's our inheritance that we want to obtain for our people. And he gives them this little message. And he just gives them. Good. Yeah, he's just like, ah, it doesn't well, matter if, they, if it's not good. It's all tickling good. of the ears. Yeah. If it is good, they'll love him. Yeah. yeah. He's like, do the tickling of the ears. No, God approves of whatever yeah. decision whatever. you're going to make. Yeah, in the arrogance. Like, there's no. Yeah. There were, I'm sure that there were, you know, steps wow. to take. You know, anytime anybody came up to a prophet and asked the prophet to ask God. They, the prophet would go and actually and consult God. with God and then come back later, different day, maybe that same day, with a message from God. Yep. But here he's right. just like, they're like, hey, go consult God. He's like, God approves of whatever you're going to do. That's right, he just says, he doesn't know. He's not ready to do this yet, is he? But hey, who else? Is there? Everybody's just making up things. And what's bizarre, I mean, they even recognize this is not right. This is really weird. But what do they do? It's bizarre what they do now. And then they ask, hey, by the way, we're going to go take some land up here. You know, check it out, see if it's okay. Oh, yeah. Yeah, go ahead, take them. You got it. Can you at least turn around and make it look like that? Right, like, go in peace. Throw some dust in the air. <laughs> and he says, you have the Lord's up. That's L-O-R-D capital letters. Yahweh's approval. The right name. The right God. So, there's the spies. Five men are, hey, they're content with that. They depart. They came to Laish, saw the people who were in it, living in security after the manner of the Sidonians, quiet and secure, just minding their own business up there. For there was no ruler humiliating them for anything in the land. Yes, they were free. Everything was cool. Sounds like a peaceful people. Exactly. And they like it that way. Right. And what did these guys do? Come to it's just going to disrupt this. Because the Levi <laughs> told me it was right yeah. to do. We could have very well, if everything were right, which if everything were right. Say, uh, <laughs> I'm not speaking to the Lord right now. Thank right. you very much. Figure it out for yourself, yeah. dude. You know. you know what? God just says, okay. Uh-huh. Sure. You think it up. Go ahead. You think you got Squint it. Squint it. Yeah. 
do it. Yeah. 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 Romans one, right? So, um, when they came back to the brothers, verse eight, um, Zora and Ashtel, their brothers, said to them, well, "What do you report?" And they said, Arise, let's go up against them. For we've seen the land. Behold, it's very good. And will you sit still? Do not delay to go to enter to possess the land. When you enter, you will come to a secure people with a spacious land. For God has given it into your hand. A place where there is no lack of anything that is on the earth. And they got it all up there. This is just wait for us. Then from the family of the Danites, from Zorah and from Eshtol, 600 men armed with weapons of war set out. So there is the army. They went up, camped at Kiriath-Jerim in Judah. Therefore they call that place Mahanadan to this day. Behold, it is west of Kiriath-Jerim. They passed from there to the hill country of Ephraim and came to the house of Micah. The church of Micah. Boy, everybody's visiting this place. This is an interesting place to go to. So the people that these guys are about to go and just massacre, these aren't Israelites that they're about to massacre. These are different? or They're like Canaanites up there, yeah. I mean, yeah. So, five men... Wait, okay, 11 through 13, just for a moment. Um, They made their way to this Laish... This is the land that was originally promised to them. I mean, it was originally promised. Once again, you have a group of Danites stopping at Micah's home there. So 600 men, the tribe of Dan, they're armed with uh, all sorts of weapons of war. Pass on to the whole country of Ephraim and they're at Micah's house. One more time, Micah and Jonathan are figuring prominently in, in this story. And in verses 14 through 20... We're going to read of the Danite soldiers in encounter with uh, the Levite. So, verse 14, The five men who went to spy out the country of Laish said to their kinsmen, See, now you have the spies and the army. Do you know that there are these houses, that there are in these houses an ephod and household idols and a graven image and a molten image? Did you guys know that's what they have here? And therefore, consider what you should do. They turned aside there and came to the house of the young man, the Levite. You guys have got to see this place. Check this out. <laughs> All the Las soldiers, Vegas. they got 600 of them like out there. Check this out. Oh, Look at this. <laughs> this is bizarre. The 600 men, armed with their weapons of war, who were of the sons of Dan, stood by the entrance of the gate. Now the five men who went to spy out the land went up and entered there. They'd been there before. And they took the graven image and the ephod and household idols and the molten image, everything that was there. While the priest stood by the entrance of the gate with the 600 men armed with weapons of war. There he is out there with those guys, with the army. And they're in there, those five guys, taking all this. Now, who was the first thief here in this story? Micah. Now he's the one that's getting robbed. They're thieving him. So, anyway... 
uh, says, uh, when these went into Micah's house and took the graven image, ephod, household idols, molten image, the priest said to them, what are you doing? And they said to him, put your hand over your mouth, come with us. Be to us a father and a priest. I've heard that before. They're going to steal the priest along with all the idols. They're going to take the priest. Come on with us. Is it is it better for you to... This is really good. These guys are they are good negotiators. And I'm sure if he wouldn't have listened, they would have taken him anyway. But is it better for you to be a priest in the house of one man or to be a priest to a tribe and a family in Israel? The priest's heart was glad. Oh, he liked that. Oh, really? A whole tribe? Great. Yeah, I'm gone. Let's go. <laughs> Back the stuff up. Get all the idols. And let's go. Priest's heart was glad. And he took the ephod, breastplate, I mean, you, you know, the whole clothing of a priest and household idols and graven image and went among the people. So he goes off with the army and he is rejoicing. He's like, look, you dead body. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Damn, what a deal. <laughs> so the Danites, they loot the church of Micah. They take the implements of its church for themselves. And they even convince Micah's personal priest, Jonathan, that he would go with them, right? Micah wants to stop them now. He's got an army. How's he going to stop them? They turn to depart and put the little ones and the livestock and the valuables in front of them. When they had gone some distance from the house of Micah, the men who were in the houses near Micah's house assembled and overtook the sons of Dan. They cried to the sons of Dan. What's going on here? Uh, who turned around and said to Micah, What is the matter with you that you have assembled together? And he said, You have taken away my gods which I made. Gods that I made. Okay, that pretty well says it all, doesn't it? And the priest, and have gone away, and what do I have besides? So how can you say to me, What is the matter with you? What do you mean, what's the matter with me? You took all the stuff. You took my church. You took my priest. The sons of Dan said to him, Do not let your voice be heard among us, or else fierce men will fall upon you, and you'll lose your life with the lives of your household. So the sons of Dan went on their way, and when Micah saw that they were too strong for him, yeah, he turned and went back to his house. And now that's no longer the... Church of Micah. It's now the church of the Danites. Yeah. <laughs> oh my, I'll tell you what. Uh, What's this saying? No honor amongst thieves? That's, that's exactly what has happened yeah. here. The, uh, quite the irony. You took my gods, my priests, but that was, he stole all of that from his mom, really, and of course she, you know, winds up praise blessing him. him. He, didn't, he forgot to praise them. You should have praised the Danites for stealing. You know why? And you're right. Because really under Deuteronomy law with what he did and dishonoring his mom and stealing, his life should have been taken. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Thank you, 
now it's out of there. Thank you, kind sirs, for leaving my life. It's like, now I have been humbled. How did you know that? That was an accident. <laughs> you were right on. Yeah, I got a, uh, yeah, I was reading Kim Riddlebarger, who um, had a really good commentary and some notes on that, and that's what he was putting forth. And I go, yeah, that, yeah, yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah, good. But anyway, he stole from his mother, and then he gets stolen from. So the church of Micah has now been closed. This is a graphic picture of personal apostasy. And you see where that winds up there. But there's a little bit more. Um, 27 through 31. They took what Micah had made, (laughs) Micah had made, and the priest who had belonged to him, came to Laish to a people quiet and secure, struck them with the edge of the sword. They burned the city with fire. There was no one to deliver them because it was far from Sidon. They had no dealings with anyone. And it was in the valley which is near. They were by themselves out there. Sidon is a big city. And if they were linked to them, they could have gotten some help maybe, but they were easy pickings. I feel really bad for this city. I feel really bad for these people. I mean, they're Canaanites, and the land belongs to the Danites anyway. But it's almost like, I almost want to say, couldn't they have just come in peacefully and just lived among them? But then again, they couldn't, you know. And they broke all their laws and rules anyway. Like, what are they doing carrying idols there that they're going to keep and praise probably? It's just one bad dude affected another bunch of men. So they they burned it, then rebuilt it, lived in it. They called the name of the city Dan, after the name of Dan, their father who was born in Israel. However, the name of the city formerly was Laish. The sons of Dan set up for themselves of the graven image and Jonathan, the son of Gershom, the son of Manasseh. He and his sons were priests to the tribe of the Danites until the day of the captivity of the land. What what that could mean is that that? from there on out, they were an idolatrous people, the nation not only of Dan, but the northern tribes. The ten tribes of Israel were known. Of course, we know that ultimately whenever you have the prophets and such, and they're all warned, and by what, around 700... B.C. is whenever uh, God sent the Assyrians to either destroy or distribute the people out elsewhere. They were an idolatrous people, and we know that they, they during the time of Solomon we saw how uh, Judah and the ten tribes then split. But you see right there, it's very possible that that phrase that we read that he and his sons were priests of the tribe of the Danites until the day of the captivity of the land. Mm-hmm. Um, that kind of tricky there, Thinking but about the captivity of the land, like talking about when the Babylonians came. The in? Assyrians would have come. The Babylonians come to Judah mm-hmm. and okay. Benjamin, the, the two southern tribes. It it could could mean that, um, or possibly it, it could be the Philistine captivity of the Ark from Shiloh that you'll see later on in, in Samuel, just okay. up ahead. Uh, so they set up for themselves Micah's graven image, which he had made all the time that the house of God was at Shiloh. So you have the true 
setup of the tabernacle, the the Ark of the Covenant, and everything, and that was the true God um, representing Him. Even though there was false worship going on, at least, but they set it up in contention with that. They're probably saying we're too far away. Yeah. You know, we'll make our own. But God never prescribed that. Never ever. It's only one God. There's only one law. Only one set of commands. And it's from Him and not anybody else. So, uh, then that was the house of God that was at Shiloh. Here you have the house of who? Dan. House of the Danites. Apostasy for sure. The church of Micah is uh, well, reopened as the church of the Danites. Yeah, they stole this stuff. And that's what Micah started. It's a sorry end there. Yeah. What we see. If we like your business, we're going to take it and kick you out. Hey, good idea. Relocate. Yeah, good idea. We want that for us. Let's tie it up. Package. Let's get a package. Chapter 18 gives us a picture of apostasy. Um, you got the whole tribe here of Dan. You have the corruption of the Levitical priesthood. The church of Micah has become the church of the Danites, which amounts to a pagans, religious shrine for a whole tribe, and uh, an opportunist priest that looks for the his own way there. Um, you could trace his family tree back to Moses, right? What can we get out of this application here? Tragic consequences happen when the people of God, and they were part of the people of God, I'm not saying that all these people were believers, but they were representing the people of God. They forgot the ways of the Lord and they did what was right in their own eyes. You look at the New Testament, you look at the, the Corinthians, and there you have where a man was sleeping with his father's wife. You have people suing each other and taking them to secular courts. We were talking about that, John, you know, and, and the church doesn't need to go out and have unbelievers judging uh, the things that we should be able to do. And they they were making use of temple prostitutes even, you know, and they had divisions in the church. Well, you, you see, that was going on with, whether they were they believers at that time in Corinth? Most of them probably were. Maybe some of them were. I'm not saying everybody in the church because they go there, you know, they're true believers, but said coming in to divide the church and to seduce you know the people in it that's right all kinds of that's right not just sexual we're always warned of that aren't we and if they always. don't have leadership that says wait a minute you can't do that yeah. look at here it says you can't do that yeah because even the apostle says i'm not sure which apostle i'm pretty sure it's the apostle paul but he says um that he was writing letters and this church and these people weren't allowing the letters to enter in and when they went to like send people to correct them, they weren't even allowing those people in to correct them. And these group of people just kind of got a hold of the church and kept it and prevented anything from happening. Like prevented people from coming in or out or you know, stopping God's word from entering into it. Absolutely. Well, you know, I think uh, people of... Uh, God have to realize the corrosive effects of paganism or the worldly system that's around us or don't fellowship with darkness don't fellowship with Belial that that means unbelievers 
Uh, and that doesn't mean to say that we can't witness to them or we can't talk to them and such, but we don't hang with them. We don't let them entertain us and be such a part of our lives that we start blending in and doing what they do. The whole idea is to show who Christ is in us so that they would want our kind of lifestyle. But if they drag us in to what they do, we've just, the whole purpose is defeated. So we have to be very careful in, in a separation, but yet being accountable in the sense that we are, who do we witness to? To the lost. But that's the reason that we'd even want to even be with them. You know, there are families, family that is lost, of course. Don't let them influence us. We need to be around them, but yet we have to influence them. Or if we don't, we get into this kind of thing. This is what happens when believers start playing and flirting with the world. We've seen it. We've seen a number of people go back to the world and doing the same thing. Were they believers? Unbelievers. I don't know. That confuses me then. Now, I would not go around saying they're unbelievers. I can't make that judgment. They sure looked like believers. They did all this and did that. Now they're doing this, which is exactly the opposite. I'm confused. I don't know. Are they really believers? I don't know their hearts. God does. I would pray if they're not that they would be able to go back to that Word. And if they are, that they would go back to the Word and live that way. We're too prone, though, all of us, to do things right in our own eyes. Whatever's right in our own eyes. To make to cover up things and to make it be something that that we justify. You know, that's really not justified. Our conduct should be appropriate to our profession of faith, shouldn't it? You know what? Despite it all, even when we are sinners, even when we do sin, when we are gods, the whole idea is not to make you doubt your salvation, but to remember the promise of God. Remember the promise of the covenant. And remember God when He says, I will be your God and you will be My people. That's what He said to them. That's what He says to us. We're His sons. We're His daughters. And what it is, it's not our performance but it is what Jesus has done. You know, so it's a work salvation only on Christ's work. It's definitely not ours. And so therefore, it's all based upon that. It takes us back to the cross and the whole idea is saying, you know what? I'm forgiven. I've been graced. And that's why we want to serve Him and not to forget the good news or to remember it. We too can be idolaters at heart, but if we keep Christ at the center of our thinking, the center of our lifestyles, always being reminded by each other, we need to be reminded. And as that happens, then we don't turn in to like what Israel did in those days. We said our work salvation, our work is obedience to Him. That's our work. Because of Christ, Christ alone, and He puts that in us to do that. We want to. Do, we want to be obedient. But we don't want to be like these guys, which I think, for the most part, were apostates. Apostatize means to to actually identify with a group of people, for instance, as the church, and to be like right in the middle of it 
and then to actually stand against it, to turn against it. Like they turned against by even breaking the first two commandments, which is about God. And all the other things. Those guys thought they were so much better than Micah. When they took all that stuff and they set it up for the whole community, I mean, they were way better than Micah. I'm sure they felt good. They were feeling good about it. But he must have had a good idea, huh? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. 